from God, not government. Not government. This is Unraveling the Narrative. Welcome to Unraveling the Narrative. This is Sean Jackson. I'm going to be joined tonight by E. Michael Jones. Dr. E. Michael Jones is coming on for a third time tonight. That's culturewars.com. And I'm glad that everybody's hitting the follow button. I want to make sure that it's going out live right now and we appreciate you coming out and sharing the channel so what we would like to do tonight is have some kind of civil debate at all make sure that people hit the follow button and follow what we're doing utn.podbean.com this will also be up on libertysentinel.org and check out culturewars.com we had a hard time booking guests this week because of everything that happened at the Capitol building, but Dr. E. Michael Jones was more than willing to come on. So we're going to try to get him on the line right now. And the second that I see him live, all of us will be seeing him live because they're going to try to silence and censor us right now. And I hope everybody in the chat jumps in and make sure to moderate this as heavy as humanly possible. I cannot see anything yet, but I'm going to give it a minute. And E. Michael Jones, Dr. E. Michael Jones is on the line with us right now. Logos rising. Doctor, I'm having a hard time seeing you. Can you see me? Uh, I can see you. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. I just can't see you yet. I have. There we go. It's coming through right now. There we go. Bear with me for one second. Let me get you on. I'm so happy to have you back on. Because I know that this is a very crazy time. Bear with me. Let me get you on the screen for everybody. Dr. Jones, thank you so much for coming back. You're welcome. So we've been losing guests all week uh, because of the events at the Capitol. Tonight we are doing, obviously, Logos Rising. We're going to be giving a copy of the book away. Um, I'm going to be buying it for the people that follow. But... We couldn't get anybody on this week, and it seems like right now is the week to have you on because we've been talking about this for two years. Um, the fact that they've been building infrastructure to start silencing everyone. I mean, how, how do you... I want to start off, and one, thank you, obviously, for coming back, but two, w what do you make of the situation as it's unfolding right now? Yeah, I've been saying for a year that it's a color revolution, of the sort that was perfected uh, in the former republics of the Soviet Union uh, over the course of the 90s. And uh, the, the, uh, the crucial aspect of a color revolution is control of information. Now, uh, it, it used to be that if, uh, if you had a coup, you would send out tanks and you'd surround the radio station, and then you'd take it over and start broadcasting your content. Uh, those people are already in charge. They have the, uh, the tech, uh, all of the innovations that have taken place uh, on these social media platforms have been mobilized uh, to destroy Trump to the point where we just last week, we watched him get uh, uh, have his Twitter account shut down. So this, this is a coup, an information age coup. Uh, he's being deposed. And uh, what we're uh, what's on the horizon uh, looks like a, a one-party state yeah. of the sort that they had in 
the Soviet Union and which they currently have in in China. Uh, that's I mean that's the shorthand uh, version of my it. take take on it. Yeah, I, I mean it looks that way. Like when I when I looked at the Capitol building this morning and there were more. I guess more military there than in Afghanistan and Iraq. The optics of that to me suggest that they're trying to send a message to the American people that uh, you will not touch the oligarchs of this society. And it was kind of odd to watch them come together after all the violence and a lady was murdered, another man was pushed off a building to come together that very same night, not mention any of it, and then just kind of call everyone in America domestic terrorists. Well, I think I think what you what you see here. I mean, obviously, they knew that there was going to be a big demonstration yeah. uh, a few days ago. They could have taken these precautions then. They didn't. I, I think it was obvious what happened there that uh, there was a, a false flag operation where basically the security, capital security, let the people in. There were agitators there. We now know that uh, John Sullivan, of one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, he was he was there. Yeah. Uh, you had people basically leading a group of people into the into the Capitol. Yeah. And then at that point, uh, accusing them of the coup that, that the other side was was uh, orchestrating. Yeah. So they were let in. There was a, a, a an incident. Somebody got killed. All of this stuff was blamed on Trump when Trump was trying to say, no, don't go in, don't do this. But that that's so it was uh, the best way to understand it is to look at parallel situations. It was like Charlottesville. Yeah, it was obviously different. But there was that was a setup. They lured those people in. In Charlottesville, there was a, con, uh, a confrontation between uh, the white guys and and uh, and Antifa. And the police, instead of standing between those two groups, pushed them together yeah so that there was violence then they blamed it all on one side one group did at that point did come for violence that was antifa the white guys came to uh, because they thought had first amendment rights and so on and so forth the other incident was um just recently in germany uh, there was a large covid demonstration uh in berlin yeah. and a group of these people uh I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to say broke into the Bundestag, but you can't break into these buildings. Right. You're let in. They were let in. And as soon as they're let in, then the whole group is outside. A million people who are protesting against this draconian COVID uh, lockdown. They're suddenly called domestic terrorists yeah. because they were they fell into a trap that was orchestrated for them by the government. Same yeah. thing happened here. Yeah, no, it's it's. It seems very odd to me. They knew how many people would show up. It almost this is uh, something I wanted to point out because I wanted to get your take on it. But I know you've been incredibly critical of Trump when he's been wrong on a lot of issues, especially issues dealing with the Middle East sometimes. Um, but do you think almost that they're burning him? Like I look at it like they're burning him in effigy right now so that they can use that as a pretext to go after anybody who ever has any kind of nationalistic ideas, pro-America ideas, and they're kind of just showing you how they can flex their muscle on the president of the United States while other despot leaders still have all their tools to communicate uh, their reign of terror on people, but they're doing it to the president of the United States. And it seems like a psyop to me to make people afraid right now to speak out in public. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Are, are people afraid to speak out in public? Is that your experience? Are you, are you asking people to speak and they're saying no yeah. now? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what's going on. I think there's going to be a big they're they're orchestrating a coup. And in order to orchestrate the coup, in order to do something bad to someone, you have to blame him for what you're doing. And that's precisely what is happening here. The coup is being staged by the other side. It wasn't staged by Trump or any of his supporters uh, at, at that rally. Uh, but now they're blaming him for what for what they're doing. And uh, to what extent uh, uh, this is going to spread? Who knows? Who knows? But it's the culmination of this demonization campaign that began four years ago. Right. F four years ago, it was a there was in some sense, I'm going to say a populist uprising, but it wasn't an uprising. It was a people went to the polls and they voted. Right. I think the same thing happened this time, but that 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 was not those votes were not allowed to be taken. Right. There were there there was there was cheating. There was fraud. If you go, if you look at the actual chronology of what happened at the Capitol. There was a congressman, or I forget who it was now, but he's ready to give testimony about voter fraud. Okay, now this this would go into the congressional record, which is a government operation, and that was important because none of the uh, uh, media, the mainstream media, the papers of record like the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever, none of them gave any credence whatsoever to any claim. So here was a chance to make that claim. And suddenly he's about ready to give the evidence. And suddenly, oh, we have to shut the place down. Yeah. Well, that, all you have to do is look at it in that respect. And you ask the question, Cui Bono, who profits from this? And it's pretty clear what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it looked like the Unistate came to the Uniparty came together, like the establishment came together. I saw I never put a lot of faith in Donald Trump as a person, but I saw him as a rejection of the establishment. And right now it looks like what they're trying to do is if anyone ever tries to attempt to rock the boat like this again, we're going to come after you and we're going to destroy you. So whether he was a good guy, whether he was in there and they're burning him in effigy right now. It doesn't really matter. It seems to me like in 2016, people knew that something was wrong with their government. It wasn't being run by the people. It was being run by special interests and donors and these back, these back end groups and this dark money campaigns that were going on. And people got upset and they were like, here, take Donald Trump. We're, we're really angry right now. And it looks like they're setting it up to make sure that that kind of populism never happens again. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Yeah. Just uh, a year before uh, in Indiana, we had the whole Religious Freedom Restoration Act battle where uh, Mike Pence uh, uh, and the Indiana legislature proposed a bill that said you could not be coerced into supporting the gay agenda. If someone came in and said that they wanted you to bake a wedding cake right. for their gay marriage, that type of thing. It was it was kind of innocuous. It was a, a a pushback against the homosexual juggernaut that was sweeping the country, and the oligarchs exploded. Uh, they flew into uh, Indianapolis and they basically confronted the legislature, which is representative of government. And said you have to overturn your own law. Well, why did Mike Pence go along with that? Why did they go along with that? I, I don't I don't think they understood the magnitude of what they were doing, and how serious how seriously. Uh, this was going to be taken. And the whole discussion around it simply avoided the main issue. OK, when Pence went on uh, meet the press, it was like, 
well, doesn't this discriminate? That's that's not the issue. The issue is, do we have representative government or are we ruled by big tech oligarchs? Yeah. That's the question. And it turns out, well, we're ruled by big tech oligarchs. Yeah. Mark Benioff of Salesforce came in and threatened uh, the legislature saying, I'm going to pull Salesforce out of Indianapolis uh, unless you uh, reject your own bill, rescind your own bill. At that point, they should have said, uh, you're trying to overthrow the government. Right. And they, and they you're are the one. They, they, they couldn't identify the problem. It's it, that summer. It took about uh, three months. There was all this ridiculous nonsense about gender bathrooms or, or uh, do bathrooms discriminate? All completely made up, completely fictitious. And yet you got one legislature after another, Georgia, debating this stupid issue. And then it turns out finally a guy in North Carolina wakes up, one of the legislators, and said, this is an attack on representative government. Of course it is. Why didn't someone say that from the beginning? Right. Why were why was everyone wasting their time with this ridiculous debate about bathrooms? Right. Because they didn't have the consciousness to understand what was going on. Well, now it's clear that that has continued. Now it's clear that these guys are not going to take no for an answer. And uh, suddenly we can't even talk about it. Yeah. How, how are you going to object? They'll deplatform you if you object. Yeah, no, we, I, I just ran our previous interview the, the last time you came on and they tried to kind of censor it a little bit and DLive just demonetized what we were doing and that's fine. But it's like, if we can't speak about it, you know that's going to radicalize people. You've been the biggest proponent of if we can't speak and we can't call people out and we can't debate them out in the open, that's going to drive people underground and it's going to make people more radical and it's going to create more violence. And I think that's what they want. Am I wrong? No, that's a standard Marxist strategy to create uh, the violence. And then you have to come in and crack down on the violence that you yourself created. Right. And this will be proof that you're a bad person because yeah. uh, you because you reacted this way. The, uh, the other thing you have to do is to, to deal with this insufferable air of moral superiority. Where did they get this air of moral superiority? You know, because you're promoting sodomy and abortion, that makes you morally superior? I, I don't get it. That's not, that, that doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly the type of browbeating that's going on across the board here. Right. Everyone's, everyone's being, uh, t they're trying to intimidate you with this non-existent, moral superiority they have that they have no right to exert yeah i i, I don't get where it comes from i mean i have the book obviously i've, I've read a, a bunch of them um people can get them on culturewars.com dr e michael jones is live with us again we want to keep bringing people out so please support his page we're at libertycentral.org but dr e michael jones has bailed us out a couple of times when we were being censored people need to actually work together and bury their differences no matter what they might be but you're hitting on a topic of complete moral degeneracy right now like they're bringing in a, a, this is a side point but they're bringing in a new cartoon now where a man has a uh, it's a cartoon for kids where a man has an enlarged penis and they're promoting it for young kids right now and they're bringing it from Sweden into America. And it, it just shows you 
Like these are not things that would have flown 30, 40 years ago. The average normal person would have revolted, but it almost seems like everyone's so scared to say anything because these people come right after you. They go for your jobs. They go for your money. They try to pull your bank accounts when you even slightly speak out against it. And now people are living in fear. And I think that the only solution to moving forward and getting rid of some of this degeneracy is people speaking out, being willing to take that bullet for free speech and actually coming out and saying, wait, that's not free speech. That's moral degeneracy. And we don't want that in our society. No, no. And we've got to, I mean, in a sense, uh, in the back of my mind over the past uh, year or so is the idea of Logos. What, what does that mean? That means that there is an order to the universe. Okay. And, and uh, the point is that the human mind can understand that order and that order spent centuries coming into focus. And finally, when Jesus Christ arrived on earth, the, the, one of his followers said, Logos is God. That means not only is there an order to the universe, there's a person behind it that can bring about the fulfillment of that order in human history. Yeah. That's what that's about. So it's written to encourage people uh, in an age where truth is the opinion of the powerful. Yeah. They will never say that, but that's exactly what they feel, yeah. okay? And they will use all kinds of subterfuge, all of this Foucauldian valorization of the outsider, you know, which is a kind of mock Christianity. Foucault was a Catholic, okay, uh, and a homosexual. Yeah. And he, he turned this Catholicism upside down and made this care for what he called the marginal, turned those marginal people into our rulers, so now if you're a homosexual, you're part of a privileged class that gets to tyrannize the majority. And, and people uh, simply don't, they just don't understand what's going on. How, how did this happen? Well, I've talked about how it happened because I spent my entire adult life trying to figure out how it happened yeah. and to research of one form or the other, beginning with social engineering after World War II, the whole sexual revolution that people were involved in that and so on and so forth. All of those books are available at culturewars.com. And I can say with confidence that they are sound books because uh, they were banned. Yeah. You don't, you don't ban things that are insignificant. Why waste your time on it? But the ADL, the Jewish lobby, went after me uh, because uh, those books were a threat. So if you want to know why they're a threat and you want to know why they can strengthen your understanding of where we are right now, Go to culturewars.com, buy one and read one. Yeah, please do. And uh, th th this is the point, too, is that, one, I've never heard you make any kind of uh, racial claims to anything. And then, number two, I've heard you openly preach against violence uh, so many times that it makes me, like, it's sickening that you have to keep doing it. But just the, the information itself seems so dangerous to these people. Uh, where I get nervous is if they keep depersoning and deplatforming people, what happens when somebody gets depersoned and then all of a sudden they randomly disappear? I mean, is that not the fascist communist slow creep of what is actually coming? Like now you're a dissident. Now you're writing books that are catching on. They deperson you and all of a sudden, hey, what happened to Dr. E. Michael Jones? I can't email him anymore. What's going on? Yes, they, someone, uh, this happened slowly over a period of time, incrementally. It was a, a techno technological advance that uh, people didn't understand, didn't understand the ramification of it. And suddenly, uh, with, with this last uh, event, it looks as if the traps snapped shut. Yeah. 
But I mean, it, uh, over the long haul, uh, it doesn't doesn't work. Can't work because you can't imprison consciousness. You can prevent certain ways of communications, but then other ways of communications open up. Uh, it's not. This is this is not a. Uh, what should I say? This is not a long term scenario. Right. Okay. We're not. We're, this is not going to last over the long haul. I had a friend, a friend who uh, compared it to tennis. And he says, when the, when the, when you go to the net, you know, the game's going to be over soon. Uh, this is, this is what's happening now. This type of, uh, violence, uh, is, is not going to prevail over the long haul. Over the long haul, you have to have people working together over the short haul. You can pretend that, uh, you can demonize the majority of the people. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. I don't know what's. I don't. I don't have a crystal ball. I just know the the principles uh, that I've seen by studying history. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And and so you say, well, why doesn't it work? And then if you want the really big picture of why it doesn't work, it's because God is in charge of human history. Yeah. That's that's the message of Logos Rising, and you can see the ups and downs of Logos in that book. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you make great advances and then sometimes it, it's, it seems like the opposite is happening. It's like the it's like the moon, you yeah. know, it's always the same. But from our perspective, sometimes it seems to disappear. Right. Sometimes it's full. Sometimes it's a little bit like this. A little, and then it disappears altogether. What hasn't really disappeared It's still there. But it's just at certain points you can't see it. Yeah, I've been trying to tell people to just keep their cool and stick to basic principles of freedom and liberty and religious freedom and being able to have conversations and speak about ideas even if they're hard because there's all these people that are putting out these false narratives that, oh, don't worry, someone else is going to come in and they're going to save everything. And obviously I have my faith in God. But, you know, I also believe in human ingenuity and that people will find other ways of communicating despite the tech censorship, despite them trying to deplatform everybody. And if things go to the mat, I think you saw what happened with the political class. I don't think people need to be fearful at all. I mean, they seem like they're the ones that are very fearful. Like, granted, there was a couple of hundred people and there were some threats in the Capitol building. But to turn that place into the green zone shows you how scared they are of actual American citizens and how many people they actually think they have very angry right now. Well, the, the other thing is that you, you people tend to forget that this country spent a long time trying to create an American identity. Yeah, this, this was not immediately apparent at the beginning when this country was founded. And people were always trying to appeal to some type of national patriotism and some type of national unity because they saw the danger. Uh, so for a, a long time, like if you go up to World War One, uh, you had these. Um, all right. America's at war was a country in Europe from which a lot of people came over here talking about uh, Germany. So what do you do? What do you do with these people? Well, do you uh, round them up and put them in camps? Uh, no, that's not going to work. So you try and instill some type of patriotism. And you have things like the uh, the melting pot pageant, where people march up wearing their ethnic clothing, and then they uh, playing their ethnic instruments, and then the band strikes up the Star Spangled Banner, and then they march out wearing bowler hats and suits. This is a crude attempt to create unity. Right. create American unity. So what you've seen, and, and to a large extent, it was this 
understanding of American unity that got Trump elected. Yeah. Trump was the only the only guy who was using the word America. Hillary Clinton was not using that word. Right. She was she was her idea was based on identity politics. Uh, and identity politics means basically that uh, if you're part of a favored group, then we'll talk to you and we'll give you a place at the table. If you're not, then uh, you're a basket of deplorables and uh, we will uh, try to ignore you or try to uh, thwart your interest. Well, so we all understood that. We all understood at a certain point that the two parties represented the oligarchs and no party represented the people. And then that consciousness rose. And it, it was that that swept Donald Trump into office. Yeah, it was that consciousness because it wouldn't have happened before. It's like it's like uh, you look at these people and, oh, they vote uh, this way or they're No, they were they're Republicans. No, they voted against the Republican Party when they voted for Donald Trump yeah. they vote because that was business as usual. And they voted against business as usual. So that consciousness has only been strengthened over this period of time. It turns out that not we were right, but it was worse than we suspected. And so that doesn't mean you weren't right. It just means that you were right, and it's it, it, it's it's worse. Yeah, the consciousness is not going to go away. Yeah, but it, what it seems like what they're trying to do, and it seems like Trump made kind of a Faustian deal with people uh, and the Republican Party and rhinos. But you're right; it did seem like more of an attack on the Republicans that have done nothing to help people for years and they've just been waging for cheap labor and bringing people in and they tell you what they want to hear. They've been uh, just as bad, if not worse, than some of these Democrats. At least the Democrats come out and say they're insane things in public. Uh, but it was a threat to power on both sides and it almost seemed like what they're doing right now is they're making sure no one ever rises up again and to you know, not having the status quo, not going into full on tyranny and globalism and, and not going into this uniparty that's going to meld into the world somehow. And this they, they're going to have to at some point in time go after religious liberties. They're going to have to at some point in time go after any kind of dissent at all. Uh, otherwise, they're not going to be able to maintain control of the people because, I mean, to me, it looks like government, their main function is at this point to control people. Am I, am I mistaking that? Well, the, the problem here is, uh, to some extent, libertarianism and conservatism, because these people, uh, it was an obsolete ideology. It was created uh, during the, right after World War II, uh, the Soviet Union is now the big threat. And all of these people started talking about the only threat to liberty is uh, government. Yeah. Well, government is actually the protection of liberty, uh, because what these people could not see was that the constant threat throughout history has always been the rich and the powerful gaining so much power that government can't touch them, yeah. that they take over the government. And so because you, these conservatives or these libertarians, that branch of conservatism, uh, demonize government, they cut off the only uh mechanism that could protect the people from the oligarchs yeah that 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 that's the, the the tragic misfiring of conservatism and now it's completely irrelevant trump made it completely irrelevant because he realized that there were bigger issues here and that 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 was just part part of the establishment they weren't addressing the real issues they're still not they're still incapable of addressing the real issues and no one's talking i don't i haven't even heard from them 
I don't, I don't even hear. There are certain people I, I knew about who were tr- tr- uh, tr- uh, representing this party line. Don't hear from them anymore because they don't have anything to say. They were completely irrelevant. They are completely irrelevant to the circumstances as they exist right now. I think it looks to me like there's like they're scared, like they're all very scared that they like the the play and the big show and the game is going to be over. And it looks to me that that's why they want to destroy somebody that they feel could possibly leak all of that kind of information about it. I don't fully trust Donald Trump, but what I know what he represents is a rejection of the establishment. Uh, uh, It was like uh, having Archie Bunker get into the White House. It was like, just take this and go wreak havoc over there because these people are not working for us anymore. And it seems like when all that thing happened at the Capitol, I mean, they're claiming eight people died. I saw the young girl die, saw someone got pushed off a building, someone had a heart attack. But we watched our cities burn for like nine months straight and no one did anything about it. But now they're condemning this and they stepped over all these people that died and perished because they felt like their government didn't work for them. Even if they were on some kind of ideology that I don't agree with, I don't agree with them also getting shot and being unarmed. And there were people there that were just accelerators that were hoping for civil war. But the the point, the larger point I want to make is the fact that that same night I was hoping they would debate everything out and I would see them come out for 14 hours and people would insert these things into public record. And it was almost like they were able to skirt around it. And now we're never going to get to have that discussion. And if we do, it's not going to be for a long time. No, no, no. That was the whole point of disrupting the evidence any type of evidence for fraud be introduced to the congressional record, which was the basically the only uh, record uh, source of uh, paper of record that uh, would be was re- responsive responsive to the people and the government. So it's not going to happen. It was shut down by the by the incursion, which means that the incursion was orchestrated by the very people who are condemning it now. It's that simple. Yeah. But the pro- the prop the prop there was problems with Trump too. Of course. I mean the biggest problem was his determination to grovel in front of the Israel lobby. Yeah. I mean it's it's like suddenly what are these symbolic uh occurrences right now? Sheldon Adelson died. He did. Okay, so there was the man. He, if he, you know, he was the man that was controlling America's policy, foreign policy in the Middle East. You know, three rich Jews didn't like the nuclear agreement, and so Trump did their bidding and got rid of it and made a mess of things there. And so, what is the net result? Well, Sheldon Adelson dies, but the Jews turned on Trump. The ADL has called for his removal from office. Yeah. Now, you know, Greenblatt is a a, a liberal Jew. Uh, but the point here is that he he Trump was the most pro-Israel president, the most pro-Jewish president in the history of the United States. And the Jews turned on him. Yeah, that, that I've got a question for you, because that I, I would figure you would know a lot more than me. But that's kind of what makes me feel like there's pageantry and theater and a lot of this is being like orchestrated and set up to demoralize people but right before all this happened Kushner's dad gets pardoned and then the ADL goes right right for him and then in Congress I'm watching him all day get called an anti-Semite and then later that day he signs I forget the name of the bill I believe it was HR 221 that put together a task force on shutting down anti-Semitism that very same day 
And what I just don't understand is there's never been a, a, a more pro-Israel president ever. How do they get away with this anti-Semitic narrative? And why is the ADL turning on him if he's so pro-Israel? Because that's not really that's not the story. Okay. The story is that this is about a populist uprising and the Jews are always on the opposite side of a populist uprising because they're a minority. They're always a minority wherever they are. And that's the situation in the United States. They occupy citadels on both coasts and they're basically at war with the people in the middle of the country. Now, the difference is that people are starting to wake up to this now. Okay, they're starting. This is getting them nervous because you're not supposed to talk about any of this type of stuff. But the, the simple fact of the matter is that if you follow uh, the, the trajectory here, the Jewish trajectory, you've got the best understanding of how how it happened, how what ha how this happened. So you start off with a figure like Alan Dershowitz in 1973, defending pornography, defending deep throat and saying pornography is free speech and giving the impression he's what he's in favor of free speech. And then you fast forward to the point where he's standing next to Trump, who's making a bill, making it illegal to criticize Israel yeah. in, in, in state, uh, you know, college campuses. That's that's what needs. That's the driving force behind what's going on here right now. And Trump tragically could not understand it. He, he, he always I think he felt that because he was successful in real estate in New York City, that he knew how to manage Jews. Uh, it didn't work out that way. It yeah. did, it, tragically, he, he never understood that those people uh, were, were using him uh, and would drop him the minute he wasn't useful. And I'm talking about a guy like uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who uh, was one of the first people to recognize Biden as the new the new president, even when it was not clear. Yeah. Netanyahu turned on him, you know, uh, in, in a tragic way. This this is part of part of what uh, the hidden grammar here that has to come out if we don't always want to be on the losing end of the culture wars. I, I, Eleven years ago, I wrote a book called The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Yeah. Uh, now, I, it, nothing that I said then has been proven untrue or, or wrong. What we've learned is that it was a warning that people should have taken more seriously. Because because of what I just said here about uh, about Donald Trump, about the way he was treated, about the way the Jews used him and the way they're, they're still using him. And that's not that's getting worse. That's getting worse as time goes on. Uh, they've got this new Holocaust. Uh, they, they, they want to turn America into Europe. You know, uh, in Europe, if you criticize a Jew, you go to jail. Jail, yeah. That was the situation that they created. They made it illegal to criticize Jews. And now they're going to do their best to enforce, uh, to create a situation like that here. A complete abrogation of the First Amendment, a complete abrogation of the rights to free speech that we've grown up uh, see seeing as part of our patrimony here. All that is waiting to be abolished. Yeah. Okay. And the, 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 we did a stream the other night because a bunch of people canceled. No one wanted to talk after the Capitol. Everybody was terrified for some reason. Um, I, I guess because the government is kind of going after people right now for just speaking. Uh, they're going after anything they consider dissident or dangerous. And I said, watch this. While everybody's looking at this event, 
they've never had a larger friend for Israel in the White House. I bet Israel knows that clock is running out right now and they're going to do something. And they had the largest airstrike on Syria. I'm kind of concerned. Do you think at all that Israel is going to see these next couple of days or the next week and they're going to start going clean after Iran and try to drag us into a war? I don't think Israel has the power to do that. They're, the whole point of uh, this whole uh, drumbeat, it's been going on for 20 years now where the Israelis and people like Netanyahu are, want the United States to do their battles for them, fight their battles for them. And the one battle they want them to fight is Iran. They can't do it. They can't do it on their own. Okay, the last confrontation, okay, in the aftermath after the Soleimani thing last year, it came down to it looked like war. Okay, and it was Benjamin Netanyahu that called it off because Hassan Nasrallah, uh, the head of Hezbollah in in, uh, Lebanon, said, uh, we're going to hold you accountable. Uh, meaning you, Israel, right. because we know you're the one who's behind it. And Netanyahu got scared, and that was the end of that. That threat still hangs over Israel. It still hangs over Israel. And so if unless if they can't get the United States to do it, and I don't see any way in the world that uh, Trump uh, would now try to do some type of wag the dog operation in favor of Israel because they've turned on him. They're not going to support him in office. They want to get rid of him. So why would he do it? So it's off the table as far as I can see. Why would he do it? Yeah, Uh, it just looked like it it looked like a a chaos at the Capitol. And while everybody was looking at that and world news was all about that, that large strike came in Syria. I, I guess here's a larger, broader question other than what's happening here in America Um, because I know you spent time traveling around and I do want to get back to Pete Buttigieg. But with with what's going on in Israel, let's say Joe Biden waltzes in on the 20th and all that happens. They're claiming that foreign policy is going to change, that we're somehow going to be more favorable to Iran. We're going to get back into the JCPOA. We're going to lift sanctions and somehow that'll be detrimental to Israel. But I just don't see that everything that's been put together um, over the last four years falling apart. Do you see some kind of split between America and Israel at that point in time if Joe Biden takes office? Because they seem to be very supportive of him um, getting in and they have turned on Trump. So I, I just I personally don't see that. But they're framing it like uh, like we're going to break ties with Israel and we're going to try to help Iran more. Like, what do you think is going to happen geopolitically with a new regime in charge? Well, it can't get any closer to Israel than it was with Trump. It's just that that's impossible. It can't get any, you can't get any. And and uh, from a personal point of view, Obama hated Netanyahu. The feeling was mutual. They did do the JCPOA. Uh, whether it's going to come back, who knows? Who knows what, what's going to happen? I think that what we can count on is a war. Yeah. I think the war in Syria is going to pick up again. Yeah. You know, and, and it, the JCPOA may have been simply a way of taking Iran out of that game. Yeah. Uh, by, you can buy, see if we can buy them off with sanctions so that they won't support Hezbollah. What, what is, for, let's go back to Syria. What is the purpose of Syria? Why is Syria suddenly so important? Why did it become so important? Well, because, the, the, because of the Shia crescent, basically. So uh, this, this, re, this monumental failure 
debacle uh, after the United States invaded Iraq, trillions of dollars, thousands of lives, hundreds of thousands if you count the Iraqis. Uh, and the net result was uh, uh, Iraq became a satellite of Iran yeah. because the Shia, the Shia took over because they were held in check by the Ba'athist regime, which was a secular regime run by Saddam Hussein, who was a puppet of the United States. Yeah. So why did the United States turn on its puppet? That was really stupid. Well, they did it because the neocons took over the Bush, Bush White House. Yeah. That's why. Very simple. So you get to so be careful what you pray for. Yeah. So, okay, you, 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 so you, you get the military invention in Iraq, mission accomplished, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, we lost that country. The Shia control that country now. And not only so now that you've removed Iraq, which was a bulwark against Iran, now there's the Shia crescent, which means that you can send uh, missiles from uh, Iran, from Tehran, through Iraq, uh, through Syria, uh, down to Lebanon, uh, into the hands of Hezbollah, and they can put them in the hands of the Palestinians. Yeah. So it's worse now that yeah. because of your stupid neocon adventurism in Iraq, the situation is worse. So now we have to go to plan B, which is, all right, we have to take out Syria now. Well, yeah. that didn't work out well either, did it? Yeah. And and the point here is that it, Syria, uh, it, the American attempt to take that over, destabilize uh, the uh, Assad regime failed because that called forth the intervention of Russia and Iran, which saved Syria. So all of these things, you know, you, 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 you put this thing in motion and a lot, you don't know whether you're going to bring about the exact opposite of what you intended, yeah. because that's certainly what happened in the Middle East. Every time we intervene in the in favor of Israel, the situation becomes more precarious for Israel. The Iraq war debacle was a classic example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. Uh, it's just the whole thing, is, it seems like a quagmire. Like, it, it, usually after big crashes in the economy and usually after big, uh, big changes to the economy that we might slump into a depression and the change of money and all this gifting and printing of money you usually see a large-scale war especially if we're heading for a depression and that 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 it makes me nervous because that seems to be the oligarch playbook it seems that every time there's a dip in the economy there's going to be some large war that's going to get launched and i almost see that playing out here pretty soon especially whether it be china whether it be iran whether it be on behalf of israel i see a, a large war but back home in america i know you're you've been neighbors and close neighbors with mayor Pete Buttigieg. I know you have a book, Home Alone. People should check that out. Can they get that on culturewars.com? Yes, yes, at culturewars.com. Amazon got rid of that too, right? Yeah, I was on Amazon Kindle along with a lot of other stuff too, but now it's at culturewars.com. Aside from like the, uh, you know, the rhetorical remarks and making fun of Mayor Pete and all that kind of stuff, I mean, this guy represents a, a horrific Marxist ideology and I don't know how deep it goes. I mean, what can you tell the American people about Mayor Pete Buttigieg now going to have a place in a Biden regime and what that actually means for anybody in general? Is it even significant? Uh, well, uh, he's got uh, he's a fixture in Washington, so he's he'll there'll be a place for him to remain in the public eye uh, and he'll probably try and run again in, in, in four years. Uh 
as he's going to be secretary of transportation. So if South Bend, Indiana is any indication, you're going to have the uh, what should I say? The McKinsey Harvard idea of the brightest, the, the smartest guy in the room, uh, uh, basically dabbling in things that he doesn't really understand. So uh, to get back to South Bend, uh, it was a beautiful city. It was a thriving city. And then we had the first wave of social engineering, which was basically uh, the road builders. And so you had uh, let's let's get let's eliminate the traffic jam in South Bend, Indiana. So let's turn the two main north south streets into one way streets, uh, five lane highways. And suddenly everybody's zipping through South Bend at 50 miles an hour and nobody's stopping in downtown South Bend because they're on their way to the mall, which is now where all the retail is happening. So this was a mistake. This was wrong. They should they should never have done this. So how do you rectify the mistake? Now, I'll give you an indication of where people did rectify the mistake. I was in uh, Germany in 1973 uh, when the Arab-Israeli uh, war, war broke out, and then there was an oil boycott against Europe, and so people couldn't drive. Now, I was close to the Dutch border. There are towns, uh, all these towns in uh, Holland still had the original kind of medieval configuration. They built outside the wall. The walls weren't there, but the configuration was still there. And a group of people uh, of my generation, basically, uh, said, we need to get away from the automobile. And they were successful. Uh, they basically turned, you can, do, you can Google these, these uh, documentaries, that's on YouTube, uh, of uh, just name a big city and they type in bicycle and they'll explain to you how they did it. And it's been successful for 40 years now because the city was intact. But basically, you eliminate the car from the center of town. That allows those shops to stay in existence. You've got a thriving retail marketplace in the center of town. You get there by bicycle and uh, cars are on the periphery. If you're the train stations in the center of town, so you can park your bike at the train station and take the train from uh, Arnheim to Utrecht, which is what the professor did at the school where I was teaching. He would go to the university. Uh, for, he lived in Arnheim, ride his bike to the train station, get on the train, pick up a second bike and do about 50 miles a day of commuting without any with a car faster than you could by car. They succeeded there. That's what you needed to do. The problem here was that the cities were broken by the time the 70s arrived. They had already been socially engineered. So how do you work that back? How do you dial that back? Well, Pete doesn't know. He, didn't, he, he doesn't know anything. So he, he goes with the gimmicks. He was always involved. Every, his tenure, his eight-year tenure in South Bend, Indiana, was one massive attempt to build his resume so that he could run for president and then move to Washington. So it was a stepping stone. So what he did was take those those big streets, which never should have been built, one way streets, and then collapse them into basically now one lane going south and one lane going north, recreated the traffic jam insofar as uh, we have any traffic down there uh, at certain times of the day. They're, they're clogged. Uh, but you didn't resolve, revive the center of town anyway. So now uh, so there are bike paths now. Uh, I'm still the, I, I have ridden my bike every day, commuting every day for 40 years. I'm still the only guy on the bike path. Nothing has changed. I got a big wide bike path. The cars are kind of backed up. 
Uh, and what what it, it didn't change anything. So he brought he, he was always in favor of gimmicks. So he brought in the Lime bike, which was basically a bike that you could uh, if you had an app on your phone, you could ride it for a dollar. Well, first of all, that's not a good deal, because if you ride 365 days a year, that's $365 on a crappy bike that doesn't fit you anyway. And uh, they're all left out in the rain and they're all deteriorating. And uh, a lot of them are getting thrown into the river. And it, 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 where it did succeed was at Notre Dame. The line bike really caught on well at the Notre Dame campus because it's densely, relatively densely populated. And everybody is at all. They're all over the campus. And it's the right distance for biking. So Notre Dame campus is too, really too big for walking, but it's right for biking. So it went there, but it was a failure in South Bend. And suddenly, oh, wait, they all disappeared. Where are they? They're in a warehouse. They're all going to be scrapped. This is the type of thing I think you can expect from from Pete. Yeah, this he's 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 the brightest guy in the room. He's always the kid in the front of the class who has his hand up because his father's a professor, his mother's a professor and he knows what professors like. But that's not the real world. Yeah. And so but the the bigger picture here is that he was. Uh, the the son of his father, his father was the man who edited the notebooks of Antonio Gramsci, the, the uh, Italian Marxist, who changed, basically changed the focus of Marxism. And Pete understood that. So it's not it's it's a, 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 a occupying cultural institutions rather than political or economic institutions. That was the big thing that uh uh, the Marx, I'm sorry, Gramsci changed in terms of Marx. The same thing happened with Foucault. Uh, you put Foucault and Gramsci together. That's exactly what Pete's father introduced at Notre Dame. He arrived there one year after I did. He was in the in Notre Dame English Department when I was in the St. Mary's English Department. He wrote a crappy dissertation on James Joyce, which is full of all the modernist cliches that he would ridicule as a postmodernist. Never did anything else. He was a revolutionary yeah. and basically took over Notre Dame because he had the plan. All these people, the Gramscian, Foucauldian crowd took over every university in the United States of America. And the conservatives didn't know what was going on. No. There was one book that came out uh, by called Tenured Radicals, came out in around 1990 when somebody in New York, I think it was Roger Kimball, figured out that something was going on. But he, he misrepresented it. Because he didn't understand how Marxism had changed, uh, didn't understand, didn't mention Gramsci, as far as I can tell, didn't mention Foucault, didn't mention any of the people, misunderstood what was going on. And so the, the conservatives simply uh, kind of laughed up their sleeves, you know, like uh, organs like National Review were completely irrelevant to what was going on. They didn't see it. And it's these people who are now in charge. They're in charge now. Yeah, it's you know it seems like they had the plan then they they went after the institutions and that seems like what the problem is right now especially with the young kids and the people that just want to see it burn they're, they're looking at their institutions they've seen their colleges get taken over they're getting kicked off campus you can't hold any kind of christian or catholic worldview anymore they've seen their government not serve the people anymore they're watching literally their entire institutions fail and i'm trying to figure out what exactly would try to turn the tide and i'm trying to think maybe 
I don't know. What if the smartest people didn't talk about it? Like, we need to keep talking about it, obviously, but there's got to be some very smart people that understand what's going on, that know how to go in and seize power. And I, I, I kind of see that's what happened with Trump and the people behind Donald Trump. But they look like what they're doing is they're stopping the next person from rising up and then calling them out for their sick ideology. Well, you know, you can you can try to do that. But at the same time, there are people who are waking up. I mean, the fact is that 75 million people, in spite of their total takeover yeah. of the educational system, yeah, total. 75 million people understood what was going on. They voted for Donald Trump and now they're they're not going to. Do you think they all changed their mind no. because of this? Do you think they feel uh, uh, vindicated? Hmm. Uh, do, I mean, look, I started off. 40 years ago as an educational reformer, because I thought, you know, specifically Catholic education, how it was being taken over by people like this, you know, wrote a book called Is Notre Dame Still Catholic, which is basically 25 years documenting the step-by-step dismantling of Catholic education. Well, that had consequences. (laughs) It had consequences because they formed the mind of, of a whole generation of people who are now completely impervious it seems to me, to reasoning, which is the reason you spend all that money to go to college. Yeah. But uh, uh, even with that, uh, there this this uprising arose and uh, all those people were not convinced, even though the entire educational system was against them. Yeah. Again, it's it's in it's in co it's incoherent. But the point is that uh, the, the, the once you would give an explanation, suddenly the the opposition crystallizes like yeah. the, the whole thing that happened a year ago with uh, no fap November. Yeah. People waking up. I wrote a book called libido dominandi sexual liberation and political control. Yeah. Nobody, nobody. That was 25 years ago. Everybody thought I was crazy until a whole generation woke up and they realized, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a slave to my passions. I'm addicted to pornography. And I guess it is a form of control. And they started acting on it. And where did that come from? It certainly wasn't promoted by any educational institution. Nobody in any position of power would give any credence to what they were doing. They were attacked by Rolling Stone magazine as anti-Semites because they weren't watching pornography. (laughs) Uh, Where did that come from? Well, it came from the mind of the people who woke up and understood what was going on. Well, that's not going to stop. Well, yeah, what scares me is like the, our, our first talk, the first time that we, we I had got kicked off Facebook and, and tried to commandeer an old YouTube page. You came on. We had a long talk about social engineering, and it's scary to me that a lot of those things are accelerating incredibly fast. So the censorship happened. The medical takeover happened. They've done this whole entire thing with the whole COVID stuff where we're not allowed to assemble or gather. They've tried to use it with the things that happened with voting. I, you've seen this medical establishment kind of take over everything instead of having like your own personal doctor and stuff. And a, a lot of this seems to me to be some kind of social engineering. And it, it, it makes me worried that a, a great reset is very close to coming on the horizon. Like right now, they're just testing out their censorship tools, but they can get a lot worse with what's going on right now. I hope people remain hopeful. But do you see any... Uh, other than just us continuing to speak and being bold and being out in the public and being open, do you see any uh, better way of resisting what's coming forward or moving I, out and starting over? 
in many ways, you're asking me, uh, can there be a political mobilization of this consciousness? Uh, it, that's not my job in, in many ways. My Got job it. is to is to write books. I'm not a I'm not a political organizer. You know, uh, someone it, it's the job of someone else to take this consciousness and, and mobilize it. But it's it's waiting. It's waiting to happen. It's waiting to happen. Because let, let's put it this way. Uh, let's say you're a Republican. Uh, either you go, either you understand what's going on or you become irrelevant. Yeah. So I, I gave I gave a, a speech at uh, Hillsdale, wasn't allowed to speak at the college, spoke at a, to a group of people uh, who brought me up privately uh, because they could they were they understood what was going on. But the, the, the supposedly conservative college wouldn't acknowledge that we're, we're back at America first. That's what the Amer- that's what the issue is. And so the Republicans, the question is, it's like, do you want to get elected yeah. or, 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 do you, or do you prefer to be irrelevant? It's, yeah. it's similar to the, you know, the business, you know, do you want to have a successful business or do you want to get woke and go broke? Right. Which is pretty much the, uh, the situation that uh, Twitter, all of these people, all, all of these them. people are facing all of these platforms to the extent that they uh, show their hand as a form of control will destroy themselves as platforms. It's not going to work. Yeah. We're, no one's going to tolerate this type of inference. So there'll be someone else who will come along and there'll be another opportunity and it will change. It will just, you know, it will move in another direction because it was blocked in this direction. I, I, I honestly hope so. I, I'm more worried that they're going to keep the clamp down going and, and then start going for any kind of dissident. Anyone who's not 100% aligned with the views packaged up by your government and served to you because we already know that John Kerry and Joe Biden are talking about accelerating the Davos Great Reset with Klaus Schwab. We have him on tape, John Kerry saying saying as such. So we can't plan out what the future is, but we do know that that's what they're intending to bring about, which is a full reset of the whole world. Now, maybe it to some people, that sounds okay right now. They've lost everything. They've lost their business. They're getting attacked by their mayors. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna be as well. And maybe now that Donald Trump won't be in office, more people will feel like, or less people will feel like somebody is. Uh, they don't have that security blanket anymore of that one man that they feel is up there, and more people will kind of see the apparatus of tyranny that's been going up for the last four years. Am I wrong about that? Well, I think local government is going to become more important yeah. as a result of it. I mean, so so when I, to get back to Michigan, I was when I was in Hillsdale, uh, there uh, the 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 local sheriffs uh, they've got a terrible governor. They got this uh, Jewish lesbian who's the attorney general who just hates the majority of the people of Michigan because of who she is. Uh, uh, but the the sheriffs are not enforcing their lockdown. That's not in Hillsdale County. They're not. So these people are going to be more important. Are you going to work for the uh, are, are you going to uh, basically uh, eliminate yourself? The position you have as sheriff, you're going to make that irrelevant. Are you going to commit suicide, political suicide by enforcing rules that are going to alienate you from the very people that you represent? These are questions that these people are going to have to face and they're going to have to ask. Because that's where the that's where the resistance is going to come in, you know. T- thinking you can impose this on all the way down to the local p- 
population. I, I don't that, that, that you, you may be deluding yourself. You may be deluding yourself that you have more power than you do, especially in a situation like this. So is Biden going to uh, make vaccines mandatory? Do you think he has the power to do that? I know he doesn't have the power to do that. I'm hoping people don't fall in line with him and his bully pulpit and do that. But no, I don't believe he has the power. I think uh, this is, would be overreaching on his part. He's an unpopular person. His whole point now, if he's going to become president, he's going to have to crumb to some type of uh, 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 unity. Uh, if he pursues this uh, uh, identity politics agenda uh, of the type that Hillary Clinton tried to impose on us, he's going to fail. Yeah. There's going to be a reaction. You'll yeah. see the reaction. The reaction will be like, oh, wait a minute. There are no abortion clinics in Missouri. And then the Supreme Court is going to ratify basically a, a sta stand down. The Supreme Court is not going to uh, impose this abortion regime on places like Missouri anymore. It's not going to happen. The Supreme Court is going to have to come up with some type of uh, basically uh uh, solution like the Peace of Westphalia, 1648, something like cuius reus eus religio, the religion of the sovereign determines the religion of the people. Because you can't you can't uh, support this this uh, unity anymore. The unity is broken, and so you have to make some type of de facto recognition of that. And so you're going to have to back away from some of this overreach that has taken place. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Are you going to push people push the these uh, Red states uh, to the point of uh, turn, trying to turn them into New York and California. No, I don't. I don't see it happening. No, no. And it's, the the point I do want to make to people too is that everybody gets all up in arms about things they see in other places, and it's not the same everywhere. And we've never been more mobile than we are now. So I mean, if it took a hundred, my last hundred dollars to move my family to a safer place. That's what we're going to have to do here pretty soon. Well, we're, we're seeing this now, a massive move from New York to Florida. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, New York, Goldman Sachs is moving out of New York. Yeah. This is, this is serious. Don't, don't you think that uh, Bill de Blasio should think this thing through before he continues down this path? Uh, be, uh, uh, Governor Cuomo is begging these people to come back. Yeah. He's, he's offering to cook them pasta and have a meal with them to get them to come back. Well, then you should stop acting the way you are. Yeah. Stop acting like the tyrant that you are. Yeah. Uh, before this even happened, he said pro-life people were not welcome in the state of New York. Who the hell do you think you are yeah. when you say something like that? Yeah. Who the hell do you think you are? Yeah. And do you think this is going to fly? Over the long haul, uh, people, as Lenin said, will vote with their feet. And it turns out that looks as if Florida is one of the main beneficiaries now of this uh, draconian uh, rule in New York. Yeah, and California, too. We're going to have Mike Netter on, who got a million signatures to get rid of Gavin Newsom. He needs about 800,000 more. So we just signed on to try to help him with that. He's bold enough to come out and speak out. So I hope people follow for that yeah. part of part of stuff, uh, you never know who the next guy is going to be. But when you see how powerful these tyrants can get, they need to feel the voice of the people behind them. And right now we're we have to, we have to have some type of assurance 
that we are right. Right. And and you know you're right if you have your feet firmly planted in Logos. Yes. Because that's the order of the universe. It's God's order. It's the moral order. It's the social order. And that's a firm foundation. And you will not be moved if you have your feet on this firm foundation, no matter what they do. That's why I wrote the book. Yeah, and I'm going to give one copy out. I want people to go to culturewars.com. Please help support people, especially when they're trying to get deep person. It makes no sense. The, 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 the main point I'm trying to nail here with this new stream is that people need to take personal accountability. They need to take care of themselves first and foremost, as in get themselves right, get themselves right with God, also get themselves right with their health and their neighbors, have a family, have the kids get out of the fear porn, and then they can go make a difference in their local community and to stop watching so much federal politics and getting overly involved in it because i think you're right that everything's going to be at a local level here pretty soon i think we're going to watch it devolve back to where it was and i think they want us to keep focusing on federal politics like that's reality when in, in a sense that if i lived out in the woods in a cab a cabin or a co-op i wouldn't even care at all about what the president had to say but we live in communities and that's what we have to strengthen yeah we have to strengthen our ability to speak to each other with open uh uh, unfettered, uh, unfettered honesty with each other. And that is going to be the the beginning of the solution. Yeah, that's the way I see it. Anyway, it's been great to talk to you. You as well. Thank you. I hope you come back soon, Dr. Jones. I really appreciate it. Let me get you off the screen. Thank you again, Dr. Jones.